Acts chapter 2, beginning of verse 1, it says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled their entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished saying, are not all these who were speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians, Nemedes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God, and all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? You didn't know you were going to get a reading test today, did you? You may be seated. <clears throat> Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. There are some who believe in what is called the Big Bang. Um, there, this is a theory or, or a belief about the beginning of the universe. According to the Big Bang, uh, the model, the universe was originally in an extremely hot and dense state that expanded rapidly. This expansion caused the universe to cool and resulted in the present diluted state that continues to expand today. We as believers know that we have an intelligent designer. And by his hand, the universe was crafted in form, not the result of a big bang. The church, on the other hand, the bride of Christ is different. It was started with a big bang. <laughs> So what makes us different than the church of Scientology? What, what makes us different than the church of atheists or a group of people who just gather to do good work? Are we, are we just a group who shows up on Sunday to sing happy songs and encourage one another to go out and come back next week and do the same thing again? Is that what God intended for us when we were established? I mean, anybody can do that. But I believe there is more to being the church than that. The church in scripture is described as the body of Christ. So where did this body come from? How did this institution begin? Well, when we look at Acts chapter two, we see that the church began with a bang. <laughs> it was not gradual. The, the church did not sneak up on the world. With the power of God, the church was catapulted into existence. This occurred on what we know as the day of Pentecost. What is the day of Pentecost? Well, in addition to keeping the Sabbath, the Jews celebrate seven uh, major festivals. One of those uh, major festivals is Pentecost. It is also known as the Festival of First Fruits, um, the feast celebrating the gathering of the first of the wheat harvest. The word Pentecost comes from the Greek word that means 50th. It derived this name because the festival took place 
50 days after Passover. Because the celebration takes place 50 days after Passover, they call it Pentecost. Pentecost was one of the major celebrations, so much that if money was tight in the home, you would carve out enough to go to Jerusalem for Passover and Pentecost. And we know that God does not accidentally do anything, amen? Because so many were gathered for this first fruit celebration, it set a perfect stage for many to witness the birth of the church. On this celebration of the first fruits, we see the first fruits of the church. What we see in chapter two is the follow through of what occurred in chapter one. Over a period of 40 days, they had listened to the teaching of their Lord. They had received this commission to be worldwide witnesses, and they had been given his promise that the Holy Spirit will be granted to them as empowerment for that mission. With the Lord's final departure in his ascension, nothing was left to do but to wait and pray for the fulfillment of that promise. And in chapter 2, their prayer was answered in a mighty way. What we see is the church established, the church uh, set up, or as Mark quoted Ron Wheeler last week, we see the revival before the revival. Somebody will get that on the way home. They, they didn't watch your message last week. That institution that was birthed on that day is still what God is using to accomplish his purpose today. Raymond Ortlund in his book, Let the Church Be the Church, he says this, are you ready for a new, old, revolutionary, deeply rooted, biblical, mind-boggling idea for your church? In your corporate life, put Jesus Christ first. That's it. <laughs> his presence, his lordship must be taken with total seriousness. And to the extent that Christ is not yet total lord of the church, we will be hassled, confused, quarrelsome, and exhausted. You know, a few weeks ago, we preached that the church is God's plan A and there is no plan B. And as we see the move of revival happening in our country, in our city, in, in the world, uh, we, as we desire to see God do something great in our time, we better listen to instruction and follow the authority of the Bible. Amen. There are three lessons, three lessons about the church I want us to learn today. Are you interested? Yes. Good, because you were going to hear them anyway. First of all, the church is the fulfillment of Jesus' promise. The church is the fulfillment of Jesus' promise. Acts 1 and verse 8, it says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we see Jesus' Jesus promise. Jesus promises that when the Spirit has come upon you, you shall be my witnesses. And what we see in Jesus' statement is the promise of the Holy Spirit. And there are different aspects of that promise of the Holy Spirit. First, the promise is of a filling of the Holy Spirit. A filling, not an emotion, filling, a filling of the Holy Spirit. We see it in Acts 1 and 8, and we see it in Acts chapter 2, verse 4. It says, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, we have to understand the Holy Spirit has always been at work. Genesis says the Holy Spirit was hovering over the waters before God began to form the universe. 
Luke chapter 1, verse 15, we're told that John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Spirit to be the witnesses and the forerunner for Christ. Luke 1, 41 says Elizabeth, who is John the Baptist's mother, was filled with the Holy Spirit when John kicked in her womb after coming in contact with Mary carrying Jesus. Luke 1, 67, and his father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people. Luke 1, 35 tells us that Jesus was born of the Holy Spirit. Luke 3, 22 tells us that when Jesus was baptized, the Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove. Right after that, Jesus was even led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. So the Holy Spirit has always been at work. So what we see now in Acts 1 and 8, Jesus is promising that these men and women who have been following him, that they had a charge to spread the message of Jesus and the power that will fuel their efforts was the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus understood, Jesus, he, he understood that what I'm asking you to do is not easy. You're, you're going to need some help. So he promised them the Holy Spirit, also known as the helper, the one who comes alongside, would give them power they needed to accomplish this purpose. They wouldn't have to try by their own strength to get it done. They would have the power of the Holy Spirit. They would not have to beg for support from God. They would have the power of the third person of the Trinity, very God himself. Jesus said, all the power you will need to accomplish what I'm asking you to do will be given to you through the Holy Spirit. And everyone who believes will receive this power. That's a promise. You don't have to beg God for the Holy Spirit. You don't have to labor and wait for it. Since the Holy Spirit indwelled the people on the day of Pentecost, it immediately indwells all who believe. When you put your faith in Christ, it is a promise to all who believe that you will receive the Holy Spirit. The promises of an indwelling seal. Ephesians 1 and 13 says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promise, Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1 13 teaches that the Holy Spirit seals us unto the day of redemption. When the Holy Spirit comes into the believer, when, when they receive Christ, it is the fulfillment of the promise, but it is also the sign of another promise, and that promise is that Jesus is coming back. And until he returns, no one can take your salvation away. Once you're saved, you're sealed by the Spirit. The Spirit is of the picture of the king's uh, signet ring, and the king would, would place his seal on a document, and the only person that can open that document is someone who had the authority of the king. And as believers, we have the seal of the king on us in the presence of the Holy Spirit, and that means nothing can take you out of his hand. That's a good Hallelujah. Because we're baptized by the Spirit into the body of Christ, nothing can take you away, not even yourself. Does that mean that because I'm, I'm a part of the church that I can sin more because I don't have to worry about losing my salvation? Paul says it like meganoitai, which is a Greek word for, I'll just say it means definitely not no. <laughs> It's a little stronger than that. 
Because you are a part of the church, you have a father that will discipline you and keep you in line. Because you are saved and sealed, you are no longer under the bondage of sin. And because of that, you should not let it master you. But allow the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells in you to lead you and guide you and convict you when you're wrong. The promise is of an external showing of God's presence. Acts chapter 2, verses 2 through 4 says, And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. What we see is God's ability to show his power in order for his people to accomplish his purpose. And the text says that there appeared uh, tongues of fire that rested on them. The significance of the fire is a sign of the presence of God. In Genesis 15 and 17, God shows his approval of Abraham's sacrifice and solidifying his covenant by passing through it with fire. Exodus 3, we see God's presence speaking to Moses from a bush that wouldn't burn up. In Exodus 13, we see God leading the people of Israel with a pillar of fire. In Matthew 3 and 11, John the Baptist declares that he could only baptize with water, but there is one who is coming that will baptize you by the Holy Spirit and fire, signifying God's approval and God's presence. So here... When the people were gathered and waiting on the promise to be fulfilled, needing to know that this was of God, God showed himself through fire in the form of tongues that rested on all who were there, letting them know that this thing you're a part of is not some Galilean phenomenon. What you are a part of is divinely and orchestrated and sealed with the fire of God. So they could be assured that what was promised was surely fulfilled. In Acts 2 and 6, it says, the surrounding people all heard these men and women who had just received the Holy Spirit speaking their own language, or the Greek word is dialectos, from which we get our English word dialects or language. Paul talks about the gifts of the tongue more in 1 Corinthians 12 uh, through 14, those chapters in the, in the prayer language. That's another message about gifts of the Spirit. But the specific purpose for this specific display was to solidify that those who were present waiting on the promise that Jesus had given them were visited by God. And that from that day forward, they nor the world would ever be the same. I remember the first time I had cotton candy. I could see it like it was yesterday. We were at the movies and they, and they had it um, in this bag and I remember taking it and pulling it with my fingers and the, the texture in my, in my, in my hands and, and then I put it in my mouth and it was like a match made in heaven. I knew from that day forward I would never be the same again. The sweetness captured my attention. The joy brought my soul, uh, it brought my soul I'd never experienced before. This was unexplainable. 
In Acts chapter 2, all the people were gathered in an upper room waiting on the fulfillment of the promise. Then a, like a mighty rushing wind, fire came through and they experienced something they never experienced before. God solidified and confirms his presence through the fulfillment of the Holy Spirit and the sweetness of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit was unexplainable. The power was beyond this world. The joy filled them. It, it jumped out as they began to proclaim the works of God. This is because Jesus in Acts 1-8 made a promise, and in chapter 2, that promise was fulfilled. We learned the church is the fulfillment of Jesus' promise. Secondly, the church is the collection of Jesus' proclaimers. In Acts 1 and 8, Jesus says that when they received the Holy Spirit, they would become witnesses, not just witnesses, but witnesses with power beyond their understanding to fuel a work that was beyond human capability. If you try to be a witness for God, relying on your communication skills, I don't care if you have two doctor's degrees and speak with the eloquence of a Broadway actor, you will not be effective. You cannot be an effective witness for God unless you allow God to speak through you. That is to rely on God to give you what to say at the right time. These men and women received power to be witnesses, and immediately they were used to spread the message of God. Acts 2, verses 9 through 11. Parthians and Medes and Elamites and the residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, the visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. I've been working on that all week. These bystanders were, were just minding their business. And then all of a sudden, all they could hear were people praising God for all that he has done for them. Look, it says, they all heard them speaking of the wonderful deeds of God, the wonderful works of God. I want you to notice something. <clears throat> notice that they did not receive the Holy Spirit and begin to try to explain the Trinity. They didn't receive the Holy Spirit and began to impress people with their knowledge of Old Testament Scripture. They didn't even start preaching the gospel of repentance right away. They received power, and their immediate reaction was to speak of the wonderful works of God. It's something about telling the, the world about the wonderful works of God, or being a, an expression of the goodness of God. By expressing the goodness of God, the door opened for the people to want to know more. Verse 12, look at verse 12. It says, and all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? They hear the people telling of the goodness of God through this supernatural, supernatural display of people speaking in different languages. And when seeing the power of God and hearing of the goodness of God, their response is, what does this mean? Their attention is drawn in. People need to see God working in your life. 
They need to see the miracles of deliverance, the miracles of many relationships, the miracles of provision, the miracles of comfort, and not only see it, they need to hear how God brought you from a nobody to somebody, to hear how God took you from being a sinner dead set on hell to a saint dead set on heaven. They need to hear it and be, and by seeing what God is doing in your life, by hearing of the goodness, I'm telling you, like a kid with a box in front of him that says don't touch, they just can't stand it. You know how you seen those, those shows where they put that box in a room and they put that sign on there and they leave a kid in there and they say, don't touch, and the kid's like. Because it's taking everything within them, not their, their, their anticipation. It's so welled up that they can't, it can't, they can't help themselves. In the same way, these bystanders see these men who have been baptized in the Spirit, speaking in different languages about the goodness of God, and it's all they can do but beg, tell me more. That's when the opportunity to tell them about a man who died for their sins opens up. The church launches into witness mode, and they witness about the goodness of God, and now the opportunity to go deeper presents itself. Then, proceeder, uh, then Peter proceeds to preach the gospel from verse 14 to verse 36, telling them the whole story of Jesus, the, how he came from the line of David, uh, how he was hung on the cross, and, and how he was crucified so that they might have life. And when a heart is ripe to hear that message, the message of new life and a, and a fresh start, that's when you get verse 37 and 41. Look, 37, it says, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And verse 41 says, so those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. That's the Bible. <laughs> the people saw and heard the witnesses. Having heard and seen the witnesses, they want to know more. So then Peter preaches the whole gospel of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. After hearing such good news, the people say, sounds good, tell me where to sign. We have to admit, we the church have not presented a great, attractive picture of Jesus lately. Now, this is not a suggestion that we should compromise, but to evaluate how we have presented Christianity in this day and time. David Kinneman, in his book on Christian, quotes a young 35-year-old who says, Christians have become political, judgmental, intolerant, weak, religious, angry, and without balance. Christianity has become a nice Sunday drive. Where is the living God, the Holy Spirit, an amazing Jesus, the love, the compassion, the holiness, this type of life, how I yearn for that. Kinnaman goes on to say, Jesus was called a friend of sinners, relentlessly pursuing the downtrodden. What an irony that today his followers are seen in the opposite light. 
Peter proclaimed a gospel that those around him came running asking about, how can I know this Jesus? I want to know more. You know how you have that salesperson and they're talking to you and like they've already done it. And you're like, dude, stop talking. Just tell me where to sign. After Peter gets through telling the story of Jesus, they all said, tell us what to do to get this gift. Tell us where to sign. I want this Jesus. I want this changed life. Just tell me where to sign. It's because the church is the fulfillment of Jesus' promises. The church is the collection of Jesus' proclaimers. Thirdly, finally, the church is still fueled by Jesus' power. Acts 1 and 8, Jesus promises you will have power. Acts 2, the Spirit came and they had power. In March 2023, understand, you still have power. Amen? You still have power. That power has not depleted. It has not got weaker. You still have power. That same power on the first day of the church is available for us to be witnesses today. The power that was present at the Bible is present at the revival. I was hoping some of y'all woke up by now to get that. <laughs> you have received the gift of eternal life, have been given the gift of the Holy Spirit, and have been launched into service to be witnesses for Christ. And the same power that allowed the men and women to speak of the goodness of God is with you right now. The same power that moved through the valley of dry bones that Mark talked about is with you right now. The same power that was in Peter to tell the story of God who loved the world so much that he gave his only son to die for it and to give all the chance to live a free life is with you right now. You have the same power to be witnesses today. And the same reaction that came that day you will experience because if you tell enough people the story of God, you're going to find somebody who's ready to sign. You're going to find those whom God has prepared uh, uh, to receive the message. And that's all we're asked to do is be available to be ready to tell our story and trust God to change hearts. That's what he did on day one. That's the significance of Pentecost. That's the big bang of the church. And over 2,000 years ago, the first church was launched into service to tell of the goodness of God under the power of the Holy Spirit looking to turn the world upside down and bring God glory. On that day, they only had 120 people testifying and 3,000 came to Christ. We have exceedingly more than that in our city. We have at least 10 times that at Colonial. What God is waiting on is us to do is to trust the power he gave us in the beginning like we believe he can do the same thing again. I don't know about you, but I'm ready to see God do some amazing stuff. Anybody else in here ready to see God do some amazing stuff? And he's waiting on us. He's waiting on us, the church. We have the power. We are the witnesses. We are the beloved of God. When you go to work, you're a witness. When you go to the grocery store, you're a witness. When you go to the bank, you're a witness. When you're walking down the street, you are a witness. Just tell them of the goodness of God. If you don't know what to say, just tell them of the goodness of God. Tell them how God made a way when there was no way. 
Tell them how Satan tried to get you to throw in the towel, but you wouldn't back down. Tell them how God blessed you when you didn't see there was a possibility of blessing. Tell them how God helped you when you were blind, he helped you see. Tell them how you were hungry and he gave you food. Tell them how you were thirsty and now you thirst no more. Tell them of the goodness of God. And no matter what may come our way, we must know that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And we have a charge to be witnesses. But not only do we have a charge, we have the power to carry out that charge. And all those who want to be witnesses for Christ and see revival, say amen. Amen. Say amen again. And amen. Father, we thank you for this message today. We thank you, Lord, for what you're going to do in this church when we access the power that you've already given us that is in work within us. Help us to be your witnesses. Help us to be the light of Christ in this hurting culture. We pray that in the mighty and matchless name of Jesus. Amen.